And before reading, I uh, just want to mention, too, that uh, this is Communion Sunday, and usually on Communion Sunday, we have the kids come out a little bit earlier before so that the kids can join the families. Um, so uh, don't be caught off guard if your kid comes in a little earlier, all right? Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 15 reads, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Please be seated and join me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask that you would fill me up right now that you would give me the grace to preach your word with clarity, with accuracy, with humility, with compassion, and with love, God. Would you help me? Lord, you must become greater, and I must become less. Oh, Father, Exalt your son today through your holy scriptures. I pray, O oh God, that you would stir the hearts of your people to love you more, to love your gospel more, and to have a greater love of seeing your gospel proclaimed to the ends of the earth. Lord, we have confidence in knowing that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and the Greek and the Muslim who turns and repents and trusts in you and the Buddhist who turns from his sin and repents and trusts in you, and the drug addict and the prostitute all those who turn from their sin and trust in you and your son Jesus Christ and what he has done will be forgiven, washed, and made clean. Father, I pray this morning that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you this morning, that you would draw them by your spirit, raise them from the dead, give them life, and open their eyes to see you. Only you can do it, God. 
Your word says that no man can come to God unless the Spirit of God draws him. So God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you draw those who may be here today who don't know you? And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who do know you. I pray that you would encourage them this morning, strengthen their faith this morning, give them fresh vision for mission, God. Give us all fresh vision as a church to be on mission, to see your glory proclaimed among the nations, to see your gospel spread to the ends of the earth. I pray this in the name of your matchless son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Well, as y'all know, we have been going through a series called Remember Our Calling. And uh, we have been touching on the five M's. And I have the privilege of being able to speak upon the last M, which is missions. And the title of my sermon this morning is Sending Missionaries. We want to look at the text and think through what it looks like to send missionaries and also what it looks like to be sent as missionaries. Um, as we see in our mission statement, Anacostia River Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ from the four corners of the block to the four corners of the globe. And we want to be a church that gives ourselves to that for the sake of God's glory and for the sake of, of people's joy who may not know Christ. Um, before we dive in, I want to hit on two things or point out two points that we're going to look at today. Um, just two points. The first one's going to be um, how the gospel is the good news for all, not some, all. The gospel is good news for all. That's the first point. Second thing I want us to look at is how the gospel must be preached to all. This good news must be preached to all, and God has called us as his church to proclaim this message to all people, all people. So before we look at Romans 10, verse 11, I want you to turn to um, verse, chap matter of fact, chapter 9, because I want to kind of zoom out and look at the broader context In chapter 9, in the very beginning, you see the Apostle Paul talking about this burden that he has for his kinsmen according to the flesh. In Romans chapter 9, verse 1, it says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. And then he says this, I am not lying. He's like, man, this is the truth. What I'm saying is the truth. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say that I have great sorrow 
and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. What? Let me read that one more time. Verse 2, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption the glory of the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. The reason why I wanted to read that is because when we look at verses 11 through 15, if we look at them in context, we see that Paul is talking about preaching the gospel and being sent to his kinsmen according to the flesh. He has a deep desire to see Israel, Israelites, come to repentance and faith, but he's saying, how can they believe in whom they have never heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? And we see the Apostle Paul was zealous in proclaiming and preaching the gospel. I mean, you just look at his life. He gave his life for it. So much so that he was willing to put his life at risk. There was times where he was stoned and left for dead for preaching this message. And he, went, he got up and even went back into the same city where they stoned him to continue preaching this message. This was a dedicated man. If we look in Romans 15, you'll see that uh, Paul is talking about how he desires for the church to send him as he continues to go forth and proclaim this message. So he has a deep desire to see uh, his kinsmen, according to the flesh, come to repentance and faith and to hear the gospel. And the same exact passion that Paul had to see those who didn't know Jesus come to repentance and faith is the same exact passion that we ought to have. To see those who don't know Jesus come to know him. To see those sent out for the sake of the name. To see those sent out so that they could proclaim the riches of God's glory amongst those who don't know him. So let's now zoom into verse 11 of chapter 10. Verse 11 reads this. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. The first thing I want to point out is this. The scripture says, he's pointing to an old covenant um, Old Testament scripture that's in Isaiah 28. So he's saying, man, this is, this is something that has uh, been declared and spoken of before. This is not new. 
For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Everyone means everyone. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. They will not be disappointed. The one who believes in Jesus will not be shameful on that day when he stands in front of God to give an account for his life. The ESV study Bible says of this verse, quote, Paul cites Isaiah 28, 16, and also Romans uh, 9.33, he emphasizes that trusting in Christ, not works righteousness, is the pathway to salvation. Shame here refers to the end-time humiliation that those judged on the last day will experience when they are sent to hell. So those who don't believe in Jesus Christ, they're going to experience this shame, this humiliation when they're sent to hell. But for us who are in Christ Jesus, we will not experience that shame because Jesus Christ died for our sins in our shame. Praise God for such a wonderful Savior that his blood covers us Totally. Totally. Verse 12. says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of, hear it, all. Bestowing his riches on all who call on him. All who call on him. The ones who call upon him to save them. He bestows riches upon them. No distinction between Jew and Gentile talks about, is talking about, there's no distinction between um, Jew, who were God's chosen people, and Gentile, those who were not um, God's chosen people, but because of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for Gentiles like us, we're not ethnically Jewish. Maybe there may be somebody in here. Because Christ died on the cross, we now have access to the covenant by grace in Jesus Christ. We see in Ephesians that it says that the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down between Jew and Gentile. And we are now one new man in Christ, reconciled to God. In Christ, we are now reconciled to God. So there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. The Bible makes that very clear. It makes it very clear in Romans 3 when it says, all have sinned. Jew and Gentile, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every last one of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But we also see in Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power of God. The gospel is the power unto salvation for all who believe. To the Jew first, 
and also to the Gentile. The Apostle Paul loved to talk about the spiritual riches in Christ. We see that in verse 12, how this Lord bestows his riches upon all who calls upon him. He loved to talk about the spiritual riches in Christ. He found so much joy in talking about how God delights in lavishing his saints, lavishing his saints who were sinners but now saints because of Christ, lavishing them with his grace. Sinners who repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 11.33 is an example of him boasting of these riches found in Christ. Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Colossians 127, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory, of his majesty, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 2 Corinthians 6.10, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, and having nothing, yet possessing everything. <laughs> Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And one more. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. If you are in Christ, you are lavished with spiritual blessings. In Christ, we are rich beyond our comprehension. We are rich in Christ. And this is not worldly riches. This is not worldly riches. Those riches won't last. Those riches will pass away. This is God's riches bestowed upon us in Christ. And we will be wealthy in him forever, forever. Those who have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and have surrendered their lives to him as Lord and Savior. He has bestowed upon you, believer, his riches. Praise God. Praise God. Verse 13. For everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls, hear it if you're here and you don't know him, upon the name of the Lord will be saved. 
again, there's no distinction whether it's Jew or Gentile, white, black, Muslim, um, Buddhist. If you repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and surrender your life to him, the Bible makes it very clear if you call upon him, you will be saved. Now, this confession, the one who calls, precedes belief. This is the person who believes this truth and then calls upon the name of the Lord. We see that if we just turn to verse, uh, verse 14, where it says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And this is where we see that the, the gospel must be preached to all. It must be preached to all. The answer is they can't call upon him in whom they have not believed. They can't do it. They need to hear about the message in order to believe. He then asks another question. He says, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Answer, they can't believe in him if they never heard the message. I know there's a lot of people that would say, well, there's other, pe there's other ways that people can be saved even if they don't hear the message. That's not true. That is not true. There's only one way for sinners to be saved, and that's by hearing the gospel preached and by them responding in repentance and faith and surrendering their lives to Jesus. Even Muslims who have had dreams about Jesus, every story that I have heard, um, I have always heard that after that dream, there was somebody that came and shared the gospel with them. And after they heard the gospel, they responded in repentance and faith. This passage makes it very clear that they can't believe in him of whom they have never heard. That's why we must go. That's why Paul had such a burden to go and proclaim this message to those who didn't know Christ. And this is why we must have that burden as well to not only go, but to also support, encourage, and pray for those who, who go if you don't go. The Lord keeps you here. We got to either be going down into the well, as, as a missionary says, Paul Washer, either down into the well as a missionary or be on this side holding the rope. Either way, he puts it, Either way, you're going to have scars. Either the missionary is going to have scars on the field or we're going to have scars financially by holding the rope on our hands. But we must do what God has called us to do, which is to go into all the world and make disciples. And as a unified church, we do this together. Amen?
Amen. So he says, and how will they believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Answer, they won't. They won't hear without someone preaching. They're not going to hear the message unless someone goes. They're not going to hear about Jesus Christ unless someone opens up their mouth and tells them. Whether it's through uh, the Jesus film or radio or whatever, they have to hear the message of Christ in order to respond in repentance and faith. This is why missions is so necessary. This is why we must go. We must go. A couple of years ago, I had the privilege to go to India. And I went to India with a few of my friends and didn't know what to expect. But I was excited. I was excited. We did a lot of different things, and I met a lot of men who were zealous for the Lord and laying down their lives for Jesus. And I really connected with these brothers, these indigenous missionaries in India. They grew up there, they lived there, and they're giving their lives to spread the gospel there. Uh, one day we drove far into a village. I kid you not, we drove at least three hours. And we went far into a village, and they told us that uh, they had never been to this location before. Uh, this was their very first time. We got out the car and we started walking through this village. And there were mud huts. Uh, there was these homes that were built with mud and um, the, roofs, the, the roofs had sticks um, with, with different things that they put on the roof in order to make a home. And I was shocked just to see um, the way that these people were living. And to be honest with you, a lot of them that I talked to were so happy. And I couldn't quite understand it. Um, but the more and more we talked to them, I, I didn't speak to them, um, you know, in their language. I, I spoke in English, and there was an indigenous missionary who translated for me in Telugu, which was their language. Um, as I interacted with them through this missionary, I came to find out that a lot of the people that we talked to had never, ever heard the name of Jesus Christ once. I could not believe it. We had brought some Bibles that were translated in Telugu, and we started going around the village and um, meeting those people and giving them Bibles in Telugu and sharing the gospel with them. And there were people who I met who had never heard Jesus Christ or the gospel once. I could not believe it. I wept. I was broken. I couldn't understand how this could even be possible. But this is exactly what Romans 10 is talking about. How can they believe in whom they have never heard? And I, when I read this passage, it made so much sense to me that as a church, we have to give our lives to this mission. Whether it is us going or sending, we have to do whatever we can to see the gospel spread. 
These are people created in the image of God who will perish and spend the eternity in hell if they don't hear of the way for their sins to be forgiven. And one of the other things that struck me was when we shared the message, there were so many people that wanted to hear more about it. It wasn't like where I go and do a lot of evangelism here out on Southeast and get rejected and people may not want to hear it or they blow me off. These people genuinely, genuinely wanted to listen. And I said to myself, how many places are there out there of people who want to know about a way for their sins to be forgiven, and they're trying to find that way in so many other uh, means. They're, they're trying to find that by worshiping this God or that God or this God, but they've never heard of the only true way for their sins to be forgiven. They never heard that in order to come to God, you must go through Christ because he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to God but through him. And I said, Lord, what am I supposed to do? I came back and I was a wreck when I returned back here in the States because I knew that there was people out there who have, who have never, ever heard the gospel one time. And it was the first time that I started really doing research. And I came across the Joshua Project. A lot of y'all are familiar with it. You've heard of it. And I started studying a place called the 1040 Window. And the 1040 Window, the Joshua Project says, is a rectangular area of North Africa. A area is a rectangular area of North Africa, the Middle East, and Asia, approximately between 10 degrees north and 40 degrees north latitude. The 1040 window is often, often called the resistant belt. It includes the majority of the world's Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists. In another section, it read this, approximately 16,300 ethnic people groups are considered unreached less than 2% Christ followers, and less than 5% professing Christ. The latest estimate suggests that approximately 6,550 people groups are considered unreached. That means over 40% of the world's people groups have no indigenous community of believing Christians able to evangelize the rest of their people group. Over 42% of the world's population live in these over 6,550 um, 6, people groups. Then in another section, it went on to read this. That 86% of all Hindus, Muslims, and Buddhists do not know a Christian. Eighty-six percent? If that is true, that they don't know a Christian that can tell them the good news, there's a lot of people headed to destruction right now. The statistics went on to say this. 
only 10.4% of Muslims in Asia personally know a Christian, whereas 678 of Muslims in North America know a Christian. Only 13.3 of all Muslims worldwide personally know a Christian. Among Hindus and Buddhists worldwide, only 14.1% know a Christian. Asia is the most isolated continent with only 13.3 of the more than 3.6 billion people claiming to know a Christian. Again, 86% of all Hindus, Muslims, and Buddhists do not know a Christian. I don't know about you, but when I hear that, it makes me want to fall on my knees. It makes me want to pray. It makes me want to examine how I'm using my resources and wonder if there's a, a way that I could steward them to help those who I know who are either on the field or those who have a deep desire to go out for the sake of the name. To be honest with you, sometimes it makes me ask, like, Lord, should I go? And to be honest with you, sometimes I don't even want to pray that prayer. And I wonder if it's because sometimes I'm too comfortable. I don't know. But there's always a tension for me to even pray that prayer. And I, but I love what David Platt says. Our lives should be blank checks. We sign them, and we hand that check to the Lord, and he fills it out and commissions us wherever he would have us to go. May the Lord give us hearts like that, whether it's serving here in Southeast or the Middle East. May we have surrendered hearts. Verse 15 goes on to say, And how are they to preach unless they are sent? That they can't, they can't preach in these places, whether it be Asia or Africa or the Middle East, unless they're sent. They need to be supported. They need to be supported by prayer. They need to be supported financially. They need to be supported with encouragement. They need to be sent by some people. How can they preach unless they're sent? You see the Apostle Paul again in Romans 15. He's like, man, I need your help as I'm going, as I'm going to preach and proclaim the gospel. I need your help. Would you help me? And he's being supported. The book of Romans is basically like a long missionary support letter of him boasting in the glories and the riches of the gospel and how this gospel ought to be spread throughout uh, different ethnic people different groups throughout the world, how it ought to be proclaimed. So he goes on to say, again, and how are we to preach unless we're sent? The answer is it won't happen unless, unless people are sent. And then he says, as it is written, <laughs> how... Beautiful 
are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I've met men when I was there in India who, who didn't have beautiful feet according to natural standards. <laughs> but in God's eyes, their feet were so beautiful <laughs> because they preached the good news. There's men laboring in mountains and jungles who don't even have shoes, who have to cut up tires um, to a car and make shoes, put it under their feet and wrap ropes around their feet in order to walk in areas that would be harmful to their feet, who do that joyfully for the sake of the gospel. Their feet are cut up. Their feet are scarred up. There's blisters. They're dirty. But they're beautiful because they're bringing the good news. Because they're bringing the good news. So what is good news? Good news is that sinners could be made right with a holy and righteous God. That sinners who have broken all of God's commandments can be extended mercy and grace. That sinners who are on their way to destruction can be rescued because God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were still sinners, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for the ungodly. The good news is that sinful people can be made saints. Those who are radically depraved could be made righteous. Those who resist God could be made right in his eyes through Jesus Christ. That is good news. Hallelujah. I love how Paul Washer puts it in his book, The Message and Power of the Gospel. He says this, In accordance with the Father's good pleasure, the eternal Son, who is equal with the Father, and is the exact representation of his nature, willingly left the glory of heaven, was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin, and was born the God-man, Jesus of Nazareth. As a man, he walked on this earth in perfect obedience to the law of God. In the fullness of time, men rejected and crucified him. On the cross, he bore man's sin, suffered God's wrath, and died in man's place. On the third day, God raised him from the dead. 
This resurrection is the divine declaration that the Father has accepted his son's death as a sacrifice for sin. Jesus paid the penalty for man's disobedience, satisfied the demands of justice, and appeased the wrath of God. Hallelujah. Forty days after the resurrection, the Son of God ascended into the heavens, sat down at the right hand of the Father, and was given glory, honor, and dominion over all. <laughs> there in the presence of God, he represents his people and makes requests to God on their behalf. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All who acknowledge their sinful, helpless estate and throw themselves upon Christ, God will fully pardon, declare righteous, and reconcile unto himself. This is the gospel of God and of Jesus Christ, his son. If you're here today and, and you've never heard that message, I want to encourage you to surrender to Jesus Christ. And maybe you have heard that message, but you haven't surrendered to him. Don't harden your heart today. Surrender everything to him. He's worthy. He's worthy. And for my brothers and sisters in the Lord, praise Jesus for what he has done. Praise the lamb who was slaughtered and slain. The lamb who was slaughtered and slain is the lamb that we will worship one day. The lamb we're worshiping now, but we will worship him one day, gathered together around his throne. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation will be there. And they're out there, people who are his. God has people in all of these nations, people groups who are his. And he calls us to go forth with this gospel. I did some research on Bill Gates this morning, just finding out his net worth. His net worth is $81.7 billion. And I was thinking if Bill Gates came to chill with us in Anacostia, if he rolled up in here and sat down and decided to write some of you a check for a million dollars, that would be good news. But if he kept the check, and you never knew nothing about it. And he walked out, you never knew anything about it. It wouldn't be good news to you. Because you didn't receive it, you never heard anything about it. The gospel is infinitely more valuable than money. Infinitely more valuable than cash. And it's good news, but for the people who are out there who have never heard it, it's not good news to them. Because they haven't heard it yet. 
but it's good news for all. So as we're closing, there's, there's a few things I want to say as, as application to think about. JoshuaProject.net is a place that I would say, look, look, look them up. Look at the website and just spend some time researching about the unreached people groups out there, the unengaged people, if you haven't already. It's a good place to start. Another, another resource that would be helpful is a book called Operation World. Operation World is this book where you can pray through different people groups every single day, and it points out statistics of how many people may know Christ or um, how many people are unbelievers or statistics of just uh, the current location and gives you specific ways that you can pray for them. Another thing to consider is the cross conference coming up. The cross conference is uh, for students, and it's this December, um, 20, the 27th through the 30th. And the cross conference aims to mobilize students for the most dangerous and loving cause in the universe, rescuing people from eternal suffering and bringing them into the everlasting joy of knowing and worshiping Jesus. Pray to see if the Lord would have you attend that conference. And here's a, the last thing. It's, it's more so a question. And I had to ask this question afresh for myself this morning. Is God calling you to go to another nation? Maybe to go to the Middle East or Africa or Asia. Is he calling you? Have you ever taken the time to even just pray, Lord, where do you want me to spend my life for your glory? Even if it's beyond here in the United States, it's a dangerous prayer. <laughs> but he's worthy. And we have to be able to be willing to say, God, I'll give up everything and leave here and go to another place if it's your will. For many of us, God's going to call you to stay here because you can mobilize missionaries who will go. Maybe God has blessed you with a really good job, and he wants you to be a good steward of those finances and giving. Maybe... Um, you're just getting by, but there's different ways you can still give if you're not going. There's ways through prayer. There's ways through encouragement. And a lot of times we, got, we think we got to give this certain amount of money. No, I mean, start with what you have um, and, and joyfully give it for the gospel being spread. And the last thing I want to say is this. I was convicted studying these verses because, to be honest, within the last couple of months, my family and I, we have not been faithfully supporting missionaries on the field. Can't think of one at this point that we are. 
And that was so convicting for me because I think of India, I think of just other unreached people, and I'm like, man, Lord, how did I become so cold so quick to all the things that you stirred in my heart? It shows the necessity of us constantly hearing these things and hearing God's word and hearing about those who are plunging into eternity without a Christ. We need to stir one another on to love and good deeds, brothers and sisters. So Anacostia River Church exists to glorify God from the four corners of the block to the four corners of the globe. Let's pray together and seek how we can do this together, going and sending and praying that God's name would be proclaimed among the nations because, oh, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Let's pray. Father God, just looking at these verses, I see that there's things that I need to adjust in my own life in order to think more faithfully about the Great Commission and how to live that out. Father, would you start with me in giving me a, a passion to see those who don't know you come to repentance and faith. God, there's, there's refugees who you have brought here in numerous places, God. Syrians who are, who are now close because of what has happened in, in refugee camps where we have access to them. What an opportunity to tell Muslims about Christ, to be able to go and share Christ with them. And there was a time where we couldn't even get into Syria. But now you're bringing them and placing them in different places. And I know it's for the sake of your gospel being proclaimed to them. God, give us a, a fresh vision of what it looks like, God, to send missionaries and to possibly even go ourselves. May some of us be willing to leave house, cars, clothes, everything for the sake of your name. And would other, others of us just seek, Father, and how we could see that gospel spread whether it's finances, prayer, mobilizing conferences, Pastor Matt does in order to have over a couple thousand students stirred up for the Great Commission, whatever it is, God, help us to be zealous and to have an unceasing anguish to see those who don't know you come to repentance and faith. God, stir us all to ask that question. Would you want me to go, God? And if so, give us the grace to surrender. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, brothers and sisters, we have the privilege of celebrating the Lord's Supper today. And if you would...
Turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. And it reads, And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Verse 17, and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. Verse 18, for I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. 19. And he took bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 20. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We have the privilege of gathering today uh, to worship God through the Lord's Supper. Um, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. When, when we partake of the cup, it's symbolism pointing to what Christ did by spilling his blood for sinners. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sins. But because Christ shed his blood, our sins could be forgiven. And during the Lord's Supper, we're, we're remembering what happened, what he did. We're remembering the gospel, that he died for sinners. When we partake of the bread, it's symbolism pointing to how his body was crushed, crushed for our iniquities, crushed for us. And he says, do this, 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 uh, that what we're about to partake in, this, uh, this gathering that we're about to partake in, do this in remembrance of me. So as we partake of the Lord's Supper, let's remember what our Savior did, how he died for us, for sinners, and for God's glory. And let's partake of the Lord's Supper with a joyful heart. At this time, if you're a member of Anacostia River Church, I would like you to stand. If you could stand with me, we're going to renew our vows. Going to, I'm going to flip this on its head for this week. I'm going to lead us in a prayer of confession, how we did not keep our covenant, perhaps, 
and then recommit ourselves to keeping this covenant, okay? So bow your heads and pray with me. And let's go to the Lord and confess our sin. Father, in the past, we have pledged to pray for unity and keep the bond of peace. And too often we failed at that. Forgive us, God. Father, we pledge that with humility and gentleness, we would patiently bear with each other. And too often our words were ones of accusation and anger, mean-spirited, aimed to hurt and destroy. Oh God, forgive us of that. Father, we pledge not to neglect to gather together, not to neglect to pray for each other. Oh, we failed at that, God. Did we, did we open our mouths on behalf of anybody this week, apart from ourselves? Father, we, we pledge to seek the salvation of our family and friends, and yet our mouths remain closed. Forgive us of that. And Father, we pledge to live carefully in this world, and yet too many times we, instead of fleeing temptation, we tramp right through. We tasted and we looked and we engaged in things we ought not. We were anything but careful. Forgive us of this, we pray. Father, we confess to you that though you have poured out the storehouses of heaven on our behalf, we have been stingy in return with our time and our money. Forgive us of this. Oh God, forgive us. And help us. We claim new life. We claim to be born again. Let us walk in that newness of life and help us to hold fast to these commitments, we pray. As we turn now to recommit ourselves to this covenant, make us steadfast, make us long suffering, make us enduring, that good may be brought to us and to each other, to this community. Oh, Lord, that glory may be brought to your name, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Then turn to page 12. Let's recommit ourselves to this covenant. Let's begin. Having been brought by God's grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we now, in dependence upon his spirit, Resolve to live by faith, and so establish this covenant with each other. By God's grace, we will submit to the authority of the scriptures as the final word on all matters of life and doctrine. We will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We will be devoted to one another in brotherly love. With humility and gentleness, we will patiently bear with each other 
forgiving, encouraging, and building one another up, exercising watchfulness over each other, and admonishing one another when necessary. We will not neglect to gather together or to pray for ourselves and others. We promise to bring up our children and youth in the training and instruction of the Lord and by a pure and loving example to seek the salvation of our family.